All right. If this is your first time uh, hearing about what we've been studying this semester, uh, we've been going through Revelation uh, chapters 1 through 3, and it's been a really great study for us. We've been calling it Let Us Hear, and so the whole point of this is to hear individually God's voice so that we can collectively hear God's voice. And if you missed this last time we met, this is, this is so important because you guys, the reason we have to listen individually and then also collectively as a body of Christ is that we have to figure out where we're going for the next 50 years. Of course, we know where we're going, but how are we going to get there? How are we going to reach the next generation? We have to listen to God's voice. And so tonight we're going to look at two verses to the message of the church in Philadelphia, the final two verses in this message. And here's the message to Philadelphia. Ben Simmons has to get a jump shot if they're going to go very far in the playoffs. Sorry. If you don't know anything about the NBA, you're lost. That's okay. That has nothing to do. Um, No, the message is actually about uh, where it is that you fit where you belong. And we've all been in situations where we felt like, I don't feel like I fit in here. Maybe you felt that way tonight. Hopefully you didn't. Um, But all of us on some level feel that way. And yes, we are going to give the biblical proof for getting tattoos. So if you're texting your mom during this, and and when we picked out this this, uh, theme and we came to this week, this was like months ago, I texted Troy uh, Dover and I said, your mom's not going to like this sermon. Anyway, that's a joke. You can laugh. Uh, all right, nervous laughter. All right, so uh, we're going to open up, and Heather's going to share her story to get us started. Um, hi, I'm Heather. Um, I always sit right behind my sister Megan, so I fall from her shadow. Um, but tonight, I was going to share about my little brother. So uh, I guess I'll just start. Um, Fifteen months ago, uh, he was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And if you don't know what that is, it basically means your body doesn't absorb, nu- absorb nutrients like it should. Um, so that can affect, it um, causes a lot of pain and side effects and malnutrition. And I think you guys have a picture that you're supposed to put up. So that's my little brother. And he's actually 16. But he hasn't been able to grow for a few years because of the disease. Um, we've been in and out of Riley like multiple times in the past year. And we've tried different treatment options, and really nothing's worked. Um, But what I'm going to talk about is, in February of this year, he was rushed to Riley Hospital, and they had to perform emergency surgery to remove part of his small intestine because it was so backed up and infected. And I was actually at work when he had the surgery, but I went there right after, and, like, he was, like, weaker than... We'd ever seen him before, just like his body was already weak, and then they had to do the surgery. And I volunteered to spend the night with him, and everyone else went home. And like I was like, oh, it's gonna be fine. We've done this before. Um, but they came in like an hour after and took his vitals, and he had a fever. So I was like freaking out already because I was like, it's just like me and Steven, and we can't do anything, and like I don't know what's wrong. And then on uh, next. He's like, it hurts, like I can feel where they cut me. And it actually happened, like somehow his pain meds had gotten behind. And he has like pretty high pain tolerance because of everything he's had to deal with because of Crohn's disease. Um, but he was like my 16 year old brother, like he was 
like pretty high pain tolerance, like was laying there like crying because it hurt so much. And there was like absolutely nothing I could do. Like every minute I was playing like, please God, make it stop. And it really didn't because we were up all night like that. And like by morning, it eventually like caught up, but just that whole night was the longest night of my life. I was kind of upset. Like we were just like by ourselves, like in a hospital that like, Andrew and I were talking about it, like we hate hospitals. Like, and being at Riley, being like a children's hospital, it's like full of sick little kids and they're crying and there's a little girl down the hall from Steven and she couldn't have been older than two. And like the whole time we were there, no one visited her. Like she was an orphan and like she was just there by herself. It's just like seeing it all, I was like, we don't belong here. Like our souls are ma like made for eternity and like our bodies are sick and dying. And it's so like hard to, to process and deal with. So um, when I was there like the next few days, like doing what I could to like help him recover and in the midst of it, I was I kept reminding him like thinking of this isn't right, like this isn't right. And there's nothing I can do about it. But when I was there, I was like convicted of something in another part of my life that wasn't right, that it could change. And I was in a relationship with a guy that my mom and like basically all my friends and my friend's parents like all told me I shouldn't like be in a relationship with. And I was like, it's fine, he loves me. <laughs> okay. I don't know if like any of you guys have ever thought that before and it's so, so wrong. But learning through it, like if someone, it's different if you say you love you and you show it in your actions and seeing like how we're all loving Steven and then in this relationship that that's not what we were showing each other and the negative impact it had on our lives. And even like when I was in the hospital with Steven, like that he like wasn't there for me. But like in all that pain, it wasn't, there wasn't really any hope in like, oh, well maybe the surgery will make Steven better because I didn't know if it would. Like thankfully it has helped some, but like we'll still see the future, how it goes. Um, so relationships fail and you have to watch people you love go through pointless pain. Like I don't understand why his pain was had to get behind. That was really, it, it doesn't make any sense. But in the, in the midst of all of that, I know that we have hope in heaven. And like that, one day we're all gonna perfectly belong there. And something that I was reminded of um, during that week when I was like totally like emotionally, physically, and mentally exhausted was um, an old hymn like we sing at my church sometimes. And one part of it says, hiking of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. So even when there really is no hope in a situation, like we have hope in eternity with Christ. Thank you so much. You felt that, haven't you? If you've been in a hospital very long, I don't belong here. They don't belong here, right? You've been in that relationship. I don't belong here. Um, and tonight, um, that's the whole point 
of the message. And recently, my son, Graham, came out of the bathroom, which he's four years old. If he comes out of the bathroom wanting something, it's usually not good, unless he's there to show me how big his uh, number two was. <laughs> then that's kind of fun. <laughs> but in this particular time, he goes, Dad, I just flushed a popsicle down the <laughs> toilet. Popsicle stick. I said, Graham! Popsicle sticks do not belong in the toilet. And uh, I was very, very mad and laughing at the same time I was getting angry. It was the weirdest experience. But that, that is a very good illustration. Her two illustrations and that illustration should set the tone for tonight. Where is it that we belong? Where is it that we belong? Some of you just ended up at IUPUI kind of on accident. Uh, you were going to go somewhere else the whole time and then whoop, you're here. Do I belong here? Do I belong there? Where is it that I belong? So let us hear that it won't be long before we belong. So Blake's going to read uh, our passage. It's kind of short. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And when you first read this, you're like, okay, what's that talking about? When you get into it, it gets better and better and better the longer. That's how Scripture is. Um, we, we talk about that all the time, about the, about the Scriptures. Is once you get deeper into it, the more richer it gets. And it says the one who conquers. The Greek word for conquer is nakao, which means to overcome, to prevail, to win a victory over. Would you, and we're going to ask this in your life groups this week, would you consider yourself, if you're going to use a word to describe yourself, Alyssa Kane, now actually she is a conqueror, but you know, would, you, would you describe yourself as a conqueror? Most of us would say, no, that's a weird word. I wouldn't say that. And actually, I don't feel like a conqueror. I feel like someone who is defeated. I feel like someone who is always losing. And I think that's because we base whether or not we're a conqueror, off of what we have done. Don't you? That's what your mind immediately goes to. And that's just not gospel thinking. So how are we supposed to conquer? How are we expected to conquer? And the secret lies in the two, the two passages we're going to read here. Heather's going to read the first one. And the first thing, uh, secret of conquering is that God loves us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is where it starts and stops. We conquer because of God's love for us. And the second just flows right out of that. We conquer because of our trust in that love. Okay, All day long, we can say God loves us. Until we put our trust in God's love, it affects us not at all. Right? And so check out this. This is a small verse. Blake's going to read it. 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
if we are in Christ Jesus, we are protected by Christ Jesus, and we will be, um, be like this for this life and for all of eternity. And so here's, here's where it gets really interesting because, okay, we know that. Those two things, you, you knew that probably, that you can conquer because of God's love for you and your trust in his love. Now, how can I get from here to there? And this is it. We are not going to be able to get from here to there conquering alone. Amen? Think about your life, your spiritual life. When was a time when you grew the most? It was when you had the best people around you. Some of you look around. You're in a life group with these people or you're living life with them. They are literally dragging you along sometimes. We will conquer. We will make it to the end together. And this really hit me when I was reading this, these two verses of the church in Philadelphia. This letter was written to we, not me. But when you were raised in the church, you were probably not taught that very often. That these letters, these books in the Bible were written to all of us, not just to you. Okay? And when you have that mentality, God can just take you to such great heights in your faith and your maturity and your, and your love for Jesus. This is why our life groups are so important. We've got three more weeks of our life groups meeting. If you are not in a life group, finish strong. Three weeks. This is the time you need to be in a life group more than any other time. These three weeks. This is when you need to go in there and just say, I'm done. I quit. And then somebody else says, no, you don't. Come over here. Stop that. Study. Let me, uh, yeah. Anyway, three more weeks. So in this passage, he gives us three promises of heaven to the conquerors. The first promise of heaven, this is just so cool. It is to be a pillar in the temple of my God. And you may immediately think, what? But the Apostle Paul, he called Peter, James, and John in Galatians 2.9, he called them the pillars of the Jerusalem church. Okay? I'm not Peter, James, or John. Ancient rabbis called Abraham the pillar of the world. Mm, Abraham, no, I'm not, that's not me either. I could see those four maybe pillars. I'm not, uh, I'm like the toilet over there, you know, or something. I'm not, I'm not a pillar in the temple of my God. And the NCAA men's basketball championship is tonight. And so if you don't have plans, come to the campus house, hang out with us. Uh, stay as long as you want. I say that because I don't live there. Uh, but <laughs> Ethan does live there, and he would love to just get to know you tonight. And Let's just pack it out. Okay, we're going to have fun. Um, but it's tonight. There were 68 teams in the tournament. I watched the women's final last night. Tough loss for the uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Whew. But there were 68 teams in the tournament. Your odds of filling out the bracket right according to a math professor at Duke University, were, drumroll please, one in 24 trillion. <laughs> so have you ever thought about what your odds are of going to heaven, of being a permanent fixture and not a disposable, um, you know, Clorox wipe or something? What does it mean to be a pillar, a permanent fixture in heaven? How is that even going to happen? What are the odds? What would you say, one in 25 trillion or... One in one? Or what, what would you say the odds are uh, of you being a future resident in heaven? Maybe another good question is, wh who is someone in your life that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that is a permanent fixture in heaven as a pillar? One of them is here tonight. 
Kathy Garner, she's from our staff Bible study. She's um, 70 going on 29. And so she's just amazing. But a pillar is a permanent fixture. You don't have to be famous among God's people or among people at all to be well-known in heaven. Did you hear that? You don't have to be famous among people to be famous in heaven. Isn't that a good thing to think about? That God doesn't see you as a broken ceiling fan or a faulty light switch that shocks you. He doesn't see you as those things. He sees you as a permanent fixture. You don't have to be famous to belong in heaven. Pillars belong. They don't need people's permission. If I got God's permission, I'm in. Amen? You don't have to listen to anybody else. Listen to God. Number two, they will never go out of it. The residents of Philadelphia... They were used to these regular earthquakes. Can you imagine living in a place where you had earthquakes nonstop? And what it would do is, it's kind of like in Oklahoma with tornadoes where I'm from, there's a town that's been rebuilt four times in the last 10 years. Why keep rebuilding that town? This is what Philadelphia, they kept having earthquakes, destroy the town. They'd move out into huts, come back in when it was, they thought it was safe, rebuild everything. And so what happened over time is people just stopped living in the town. Like, I'm just going to live in a hut. Out here, where it's safe. It was ridiculous. Life was uneasy. It was full of paranoia. And this isn't what heaven is going to be like. We will never have to leave. Never be forced out. We will be completely completely protected. There is no closing time in heaven. There is closing time tonight. Apparently at the campus house, Ethan. Um, and I was just thinking about my family. This, the exact illustration for this is what we call PJ Day at my house. And it's usually Saturday. It's where the kids, you wake up, you don't have to get dressed. You stay in your PJs all day. No one's making me leave the house. No one's, you might have to brush your teeth. No one's making me. I can stay right here. I belong here. I don't have to go anywhere else as long as mom and dad feed me, right? It's PJ Day. Never leave the house. God is not going to get tired of having you around for eternity. Think about that. He won't get tired of having you around. Even the people we love the most get tired of having us around, right? Even the sweetest people in your life group, after a while, they'd be like, okay, someone else for a while, please. <laughs> but God isn't like that. Third promise. First promise is a pillar. Second promise, you'll never go out. Third promise is you'll get three tattoos. You heard me, right? Three tattoos. And later, Jesus is going to get a tattoo on his thigh. Three tattoos. A tattoo is a permanent commitment. First of all, um, it's, it's just a permanent And this, of course, it does not. You cannot go back to your parents tonight and say, hey, I can get a tattoo now. Andrew said I can. I don't need those emails. <laughs> um, but you could say something like, that's Old Covenant. We don't live by Le Leviticus. We live by... The New Testament, that's what I would say. Anyway, don't say that. <laughs> like I mentioned before, in AD 17, there was one particular earthquake that was really, really big in this area, and it destroyed 11 cities, not just Philadelphia. And what happened was Rome gave them a grant to rebuild the entire city. And so what they did is they renamed their city of Philadelphia during that time to Neo Caesarea, which is the new city of Caesar. Names were a big deal. And so the residents of Philadelphia, they saw this. And so there were three names that are going to get tattooed on those of us who are going to be going to heaven. This is kind of cool. 
The first tattooed you're going to get is the name of God. When a Philadelphian priest would die, it was customary to put up a new pillar in the temple in his honor. Okay? And on that pillar, when he died, they would put his name on it, you know, etch it in there, and then they would put his father's name on the pillar. What is Jesus trying to tell us? This is a Philadelphian temple. You'll have the name of God tattooed on you. You will belong. Uh, second tattoo, name of heaven. At the end of the book of Ezekiel, we have the most confusing part in the entire Bible, almost. I like this long description of this temple that never gets built. I mean, it's detailed, like three or four chapters long. And you're like, what is happening with this temple? And what is the significance of it? And we never, we don't know. Some people believe it's kind of like this imagery of heaven someday. And the very last phrase in Ezekiel is this Hebrew phrase, Yahweh Shammah, which means the Lord is there. Some people believe that this is the tattoo you're going to get, Yahweh Shammah, that the Lord is there. What is the significant thing about heaven? Uh, what it looks like? What it feels like? No. The significant thing of heaven is that God will be there. Third tattoo you're going to get. Jesus' new name. We're told in Revelation 19, 12 that no one knows what this name is, but it will be the name that is above every name. Philippians chapter 2 tells us all about that. And so, um, bottom line, you are a permanent fixture. If you are a permanent fixture, if you've never been, you'll never be asked to leave, and if you get three meaningful tattoos of belonging, I would say that that is a place that you will not have to leave, right? You will not have to wonder whether or not you belong. Amen? And if you're still unsure of your residency in heaven, your future residency in heaven, we have a great page on our website. Um, it's uh, impactediupy.com slash baptism. It's not just about baptism, of course. It's about all those initial steps. Nathan's sister, one of his adopted sisters from Russia. Russia? Okay. Uh, she just accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior today. Amen? Okay, and on, yeah, I just snuck that in there. I did that. He just texted us about it earlier. But one of the things uh, on that page, it'll show you all the steps that people took in the New Testament initially when they became Christians. Check it out. Just see where you're at. Try to gauge yourself. Like, do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Have I repented of my sin? Have I confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Have I been baptized? Am I faithfully following Jesus today? Those are great questions to ask. And Heather's going to read this amazing passage from Hebrews chapter 11, which Hebrews makes the entire Old Testament make more sense than it at face value does. Here you go. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they'd come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, 
for he has prepared a city for them. Isn't that the most amazing passage? God says that you, we are all looking forward. We are not looking backward. We are looking forward. What are you looking forward to? Finals week being over? Yes, that too. Further, <laughs> maybe hopefully sooner so we don't have to have finals, right? Amen? We're looking forward, foreigners and nomads. We're looking forward to a better place, a heavenly homeland, a far-off country. We will never feel completely at home here in this world. If you're waiting for the time when you're going to wake up and feel like, ah, oh, man, I just feel so like I belong here, it's not going to happen. If you're following Jesus, you will never feel completely at home here. And I know there's a lot of people that do a lot of crazy things because they do feel like they don't belong and they're trying to belong so bad. And um, yeah, it's just tough. This quote says it perfectly by C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've been thinking about this quote the whole message. If I find my, in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Jesus said it like this to the hypocritical religious leaders of his day. He said, you belong to this world. I do not. <laughs> do you need to wake up and say that sometimes in your day? You belong to this world. You are putting all your hopes and all your dreams and all your money and all your time into this world. I am not. That's why you're here tonight. That's what you're essentially saying. I don't really belong here until Jesus returns and this place gets roasted with fire and renovated and made brand new and the holy city of Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God and he, God makes his dwelling with men, then I will belong. Read Revelation 21 if you're very confused with what I just said. But let us just hear that it won't be long before we belong. So Blake's going to share his story right now. So I can have a funny story before I share my actual story. So about a month ago, um, I met with Andrew and Heather to kind of discuss like the game plan for what we're going to talk about today. And uh, after what I was done, I was like, oh, man, I'm feeling really good. I feel like I got a lot of stuff to talk about. And uh, a couple days, I believe we met on a Tuesday. And then a couple days later on the Thursday, I woke up and I was like, man, I can't feel the right side of my face. What's wrong? So I go to class, didn't think much of it. Um, start drinking my water out of my uh, water bottle. And it's just spilling out the right side of my face. And I'm like, what is going on? So I run home real quick to Michael because at the time, uh, maybe not at the time, but he was pre-med last semester. So I was like, man, he'll, he'll know what's going on. So I... So I ran to him, Michael, Michael, I can't move the right side of my face. Um, and then he's like, well, let me check WebMD. So I'm like, so I'm like yeah, th thanks for your help. So he's like, it could be one of two things. And I was like, okay, right, lay it on me. And he's like, it could be Bell's palsy or you could have had a stroke. And I'm like, oh my, I just had a stroke. So I call my mom and I'm like, mom, mom, get me the doctor. I just had a stroke. <laughs> and she's like, you didn't have a stroke. Calm down. We're going to the doctor tomorrow. So I go to the doctor, and they told me I had uh, what's called Bell's palsy. And it's like when a virus gets attached. It's like a cold sore. It's a cold sore virus that gets attached to your, um, the muscles in your face, and it basically stops your face from working. So a couple weeks, a couple weeks ago, it was really bad. I couldn't even, like, my face was all droopy. Uh, I couldn't say words like Florida. Like, it, it was like <laughs> Florida. So, yeah, so I was like, I texted Andrew, and I was like, hey, this is what's going on, and I don't want people to think I'm, like, two-faced from Batman or something. And so just if you see me, like, kind of, get my face a little droopy, don't think I'm stroking out, don't call the police or anything, so we'll be all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so tonight when I was reading this message, um, Andrew and I kept, or Andrew and Heather and I kept thinking um, that it's just about 
belonging. Everybody wants to feel like they belong to something, um, whether that be um, whether you belong to like a school group, a club, um, a friend group, or even a sport. Everybody wants to feel like they belong um, to something, and that kind of hits a little more harder to home for me and my brothers because um, we come from a divorced family. Um, and I read this weird, um, crazy stat the other day that 40 to 50 percent of marriages actually end um, in divorce, and that's crazy to think about. It's one in, one in every two marriages. Um, so like I said, I do come from a divorced family. Um, I've been divorced, or I have not been divorced. My parents, <laughs> my parents have been di- divorced since I was six or seven. So it's really all I, all I kind of know. So anybody that comes to a divorced family knows um, that it's really hard to um, uh, kind of tie in both parents to your life um, and try not to um, make the other one feel bad. Um, but when, for example, um, when, I was, when I'm at my mom's house, I always feel like, man, I belong there. I belong with my mom. I belong with um, that side of the family. But then when I go to my dad's house, it kind of sh- uh, shifts. I'm like, man, I really belong here. I belong with um, this lifestyle. I belong with this family. Um, but because of this, I never really felt like I belonged either, if that really makes sense. Um, I always felt like I was um, kind of running back and forth between the two. Never really felt like I was stable in one home. Um, and then it becomes bigger than just, um, just which home you belong to. Um, for example, like after a football game, which parent are you going to go um, and say hi to first? Or... Um, which parent are you going to go spend Christmas with or Easter or something like that? Um, they're really little things that nobody um, would really ever think of, um, and I've had to struggle with that my whole life. But you want to please both your parents without hurting um, the other. So I always felt guilty um, if I would go do something with one parent and then not include the other. Um, but then you throw in college, and, man, things get crazy. So I remember, I don't know if I'm a freshman here, so I don't remember if you guys ever know, like, the first time you went home. But I went home about four weeks in, and I remember just sitting in my mom's kitchen thinking, I really feel like a guest. Like, I don't feel like I really belong here. And part of that could have been because my brother took over my room, and I had, no, I had nowhere to sleep. So that really, that really could have been it. But I just remember thinking, man, I really just don't belong here. And so I had three, three kind of places that I could go to, um, but really didn't feel like I belonged. Um, so I don't know if you guys ever felt that, but that was something that kind of um, stood over me for a while because I really wasn't used to the whole college thing. Um, but it was definitely a weird time because, like I said, I had those three places to go but I didn't really feel like I belonged in any of them, if that makes sense. Um, But though my parents have separated and gone through their own ways, I never really felt like they didn't love me or didn't support me, and that was, uh, I was really thankful for them and really appreciative um, that they were in my life. So if both of them love me, both of them support me, maybe it's okay to belong to two places, um, to two families, to two two homes, and to two lifestyles. But I think what is important and what I'm learning a little more um, each day is that we don't always have to feel like um, we belong to somebody or belong to something. Um, as long as we know that we belong to God and we have a spot reserved in heaven for us, and we always will. So even with, when I feel lost between the both of them, um, I always know that um, I have God and I have that heavenly home waiting for me um, when I return. So let us hear that we belong in heaven was important for me to understand because it taught me um, that no matter how much you feel like you don't belong here on earth, you always have a very special spot in your heavenly home. So thank you. And we're out of time, uh, but I'm not done. So, uh, and, but the national championship starts at 9:20. So we're just going to work quick here. Okay. Um, so, four truths, real quick, and then I'm going to tell you a story. The four truths out of the passage were: first of all, if you didn't hear this, you were created to conquer and not to cower. Second thing: God sees you as a permanent pillar. You're not a broken ceiling fan. You're not a faulty light switch that's getting ready to get discarded. You're a permanent pillar. Third thing, God will not tire of you over time. 
I love that. Right? Isn't that the craziest thing about even when you get married and I'm married, it, eventually I think I'm going to wake up and my wife's going to be like, man, you are annoying. Get out of here. And she hasn't so far, and it's been almost uh, 13 or 14 years. Uh, need to figure that out. Uh, this month, April 22nd. All right. But God will not tire of me, right? He will not tire of me. He will not tire of you. Jesus is not ashamed. Last one is Jesus is not ashamed to claim you. Let us hear that it won't be long before we belong. So, and this is awful because I was trying to think of his story. None of you have known me outside of CJ, who's one of my best friends. He's here tonight. He's actually one of my covenant eyes. Uh, he's my accountability partner on there. So, But anyway, I don't think any of you have known me before my mother-in-law got ovarian cancer. Uh, outside of Zach and Kayla, who are some of our alumni who are here tonight, which are awesome. Kelly School of Business. Um, but... And it's kind of weird, like I remember when Alex Brown was a freshman and Sarah Fisher, that was my prayer request, that God would heal my mother-in-law. Prayed that prayer thousands of times. And um, my wife, at the beginning of this year, on New Year's Eve, she said, man, I just have a feeling my mom's going to die in 2019. And I said, what? Man, we've just been, and not that we weren't praying, she just felt like, Something heavy was about to happen. You ever felt like that? My daughter gets out this dry erase marker that she has, and um, she ha- we have a whiteboard downstairs uh, where she can write on it. She starts writing messages on all the mirrors in our bathrooms. Um, we have a half bath downstairs and two full bath upstairs, and on all the mirrors she wrote, I'm going to check this out. On New Year's Day, that's what we've had to look at every day when we get ready. God loves us. And my wife is like, I feel like Tinley's trying to tell us something. I feel like God's trying to tell us something. God loves us. And um, my mother-in-law passed away. You know, she went to, to be absent from the body, is what the scripture said, to be present with our Lord Jesus. Uh, she entered into her prize two weeks ago. Uh, some of you graciously came to the funeral um, or the visitation last week, which was shocking and very emotional for me. Um, but what, what happens is, is when you, when you have an experience like that, you get it, right? <laughs> you're sitting there at the funeral, you're like, she is no longer here. I don't belong here long-term, right? And um, one of our other alumni, Corey Lotz, that's how he became a Christian. I don't know if you guys knew that about Corey. He was at his aunt's funeral. And he's like, I've got to do something with Jesus, right? And that's how he became a Christian. And I want I want Heather to read this verse real quick, and, and then we'll be done. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. You see what that said? Sojourners and pilgrims. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting p- picture? That you're a nomad. You will go from place to place, and until you enter into rest, and at hopefully 99 years old, you will be face to face with Jesus, and everything will make sense. And I just read this the other day. 
Luke 10, 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Jesus sent out the 70, and they were casting out demons, and they were, ah, God, you know. He's like, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And that's the whole point of this passage, belonging in heaven. And I can't wait to see my mother-in-law again, my grandfather that passed away last year. Many of you have lost people. Um, we haven't lost them if they're in Christ Jesus. They're just waiting on us. And actually, I'm not sure they're even waiting because they're in eternity. I'm not sure how that works, but I'm excited uh, for that day. And I hope you are too. Let us hear that it won't be long before we belong. Let's pray and we'll close out. Father, thank you so much uh, for tonight. We thank you for the privilege of, of your, your scriptures. I mean, they're amazing. And the more that we dig in, the more that we love them. Uh, the more that we dig into them, the more that we realize that um, you love us so much. And how do we know that, God? We know that because you sent your one and only son to die a cruel, hideous death on the cross so that we could be saved. And he defeated death so that we could defeat it as well. God, we love you. We thank you for um, just the assurance of heaven. I pray that it would allow us to make it through these three, four weeks strong, finish this semester strong, <laughs> not barely making it, not like one escaping from the flames, um, but making it all the way through with confidence and assurance. And it's in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.